we're continuing through the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians throughout Ephesus and, and, and all the house churches in the area. And today we're going to wrap up chapter 4, which means that we're about 66% of the way through this series. Our plan is to go through this entire letter by the end of the summer, and uh, next week we'll get into chapter 5, and in the weeks following chapter 6. And uh, this part of Paul's letter is really a shift. He begins in the first three chapters talking about theology and doctrine and truth, but now in the latter part of this letter, he gets really specific and he says, now that you know who you are, now that you know who God is, this is how you should live. And now he gets really practical and applies uh, these great theological truths into our lives. And so we're going to see that uh, front and center today as we read the second part of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So let's read this together. This is uh, the word of God through the hand of Paul. Paul writes, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must, be, must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is the word of God. Can we bow one more time in a word of prayer? Lord, as we uh, continue to study this letter uh, that has been preserved uh, for us today to read, to study, to listen to, uh, Lord, would your Holy Spirit be at work enabling us to put off the old and to continue to put on the new each and every day. Lord, we know that this is a daily encounter with your truth, with the gospel, with the cross. Lord, that our sin continues to hold us back and uh, corrupt our lives and our nature. But Lord, you have overcome our sin and you 
have in our place redeemed us and given us new clothes, a new identity, a new standing before God. And so, Lord, now uh, would your spirit be at work renewing our minds as we continue in this letter. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You know, um, if you think about it for a second, what we just read, a large part of it, particularly the second half of it where Paul says, don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that, you know, don't lie, tell the truth, stop stealing and start giving, you know, uh, don't uh, let anger get the best of you. You know, these things that Paul is saying are really what every other ethical system and religious system in the entire world say, right? I mean, this is really no different than Buddhism or what Confucius teaches or Islam or the New Age movement, right? Think about it for a second. Because all of these ways of life, all of these ethical systems, all of these behavioral models all say the same thing. Be a good person. And that's what Paul is saying. But that's not all Paul is saying. And this... What Paul is saying is what differentiates who we are, what he has written, what Christianity is all about from really the rest of the world. And that's what Paul is getting into in this passage. Paul begins this chapter by pleading for unity. Dan preached on this last week, but beginning in verse 1 and 2 and 3 of this chapter, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so Paul is calling the people out, or a better way to put it, he's reminding them of who they are now, that they have been called to live a life worthy of Christ. Now he's urging them to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit of peace. In other words, before we can actually uh, become... uh, morally right before God, he has to do the work of calling us to that life. And Paul says this beginning in Ephesians 1, that before the foundations of the world, God knew you and he chose you and he gave you life. And we looked at it in Ephesians 2, how you were once dead to your sins and your your transgressions. You weren't on life support. You were out for the count. You were flatlined. And it was God who gave you life through Jesus Christ. It was uh, the work that he did on the cross that saved us, not any goodness in and, of a, in and of ourselves. And he continues to beat the same drum. Now, he says, live a life worthy of your calling. And he says, make every effort to keep the unity of peace. In other words, Paul blends the work of God, the divine work, and the work of humanity, our work. God has recreated us, God has redeemed us, God has restored us, and now we must respond, we must repent, we must remember, we must literally be different because of what Christ has done for us. So this is how Paul begins the letter, and then Paul says in verses 17, and this is the gist of what we just read, he says, I tell you this, and he's, he's urging them again in the name of the Lord. He says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He says now that you are in Christ, you must be different. 
You must be set apart. We, we talk about holiness all the time in the church. What does it mean to be holy? Holy literally means to be set apart. And God, from the, from the moment he called his people to follow him in faith, has been trying to set them apart from the rest of the world so that the world would know that God is holy, that God is right, that God is good. And now we, as his followers, are being called to live in like way. And then Paul does this comparison in verses uh, 18 and 19. He compares the pagan or the Gentile, the former person, to the current new person, the new believer. And this is what he says. He says they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of their ignorance, and this is due to the hardening of their hearts. Or another way to translate it is the blinding of their hearts. But the word that Paul uses there for heart Hardening in the Greek is a word that refers to sort of this marbling. They've become stiff. They, they, they have no ability to absorb anything from around it. It's become hardened and ignorant. Paul is basically saying their depravity, their sin, has completely rendered them dark and useless before God. They've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality and they have a continual lust for more. So Paul is explaining the former selves or the way that we used to live before God replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And then he compares it with who we are today. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And I think we have to pay attention to the language that Paul is using here in these passages. In the previous passage, Paul talks about darkening their understanding and uh, the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Basically, Paul is saying they can't comprehend who God is, the goodness of Jesus Christ, and what it means to be holy. And then in the next passage, he says, but you know Christ, you have heard him, and you have been taught in him according to the truth in Jesus. In other words, Paul is using intellectual language. He's saying, you know this now. You've heard it. You've received it. Recently, a friend of mine down in New York City uh, was ordained as a pastor uh, to start a new church and to be the pastor of this church that's a, a voice of hope uh, in Brooklyn. And uh, I, was, uh, I had the, uh, the uh, uh, privilege and sort of awkward responsibility of being part of his ordaining board. Uh, I, I was one of those people that got to sit behind a table and he stood in front of us and we grilled him with questions and asked him about his call. And uh, one of the questions that we asked everybody who came in seeking ordination was, tell us your journey of faith, because we wanted to get to know them a little bit. And uh, what he shared was this, that he had grown up in a broken home uh, where, his, where his father was emotionally and verbally abusive to he and his brother, and he was simply a latchkey kid. Now, how many of us can relate with that, right? So many of us. And then he said, but it was the children's ministry in my church called Awana. And this is where I kind of perked up because it's the same kind of ministry that we do in our church. We use a system called Awana, which stands for all workmen are... <laughs> Not ashamed. Not ashamed. That's what Awana stands for. I should know this. Shame on me. Um, but part of the system is to learn, to hear, and to memorize the Word of God. And so I bet, I bet 
the average student in our children's ministry know more verses, and this is a shame, than many of us sitting here today. Because every week when they come to church, they have to memorize verses, they have to recite them, and you know, it's part of their curriculum. And you might think, oh, that's cruel. You're just like manipulating them. You're brainwashing them. But no. What we're doing is we're planting seeds of the truth of God into their lives. But anyway, my friend was saying that it was those collection of verses that he, was, that he heard, that he was taught, and that he memorized that carried him through his volatile childhood into a very confusing adolescence a season of life in college where he was kind of unsure of what God was calling him to do, but a place of healing and restoration for him to respond to the call of God upon his life to become a pastor. And he pointed all the way back to what he knew, what he heard, and what he was taught. That is what Paul is saying here. Remember, he's writing this letter to believers. He's writing this letter to the church. And what he's doing is he's reminding us of who we are, what we've heard, what we've been taught, what we're continuing to learn and be taught, and what we know. And Paul is saying this makes all the difference. And he uses this great metaphor. He says you should put off your old self, like old garments, this old clothes, and remember to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, Paul is saying, remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember that he died on the cross for your sins so that you no longer are judged and condemned by God, but that you are now loved and accepted and redeemed. Therefore, Paul is saying, live different. He doesn't say like every other moral ethical system, be different and be good because it's good. But Paul is saying be good because God is good. And because God has purchased your salvation with the goodness of his son and exchanged it with your unrighteousness so that now, even though you are still tainted with sin and that in every action you are still uh, uh, tainted with sin and depravity, that your new mind, that your new self, you are created to be like God. Not God, but like God by living out a way of holiness. And then Paul gets specific. Paul gets nitty-gritty, and it gets down into the details, and he speaks into the life of these people, and he says this. Therefore, stop lying. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. How many of us are guilty of not being honest? And I don't bring these things up to make us feel awkward in here, like everybody's staring at me because they know that I am a dishonest person or I'm a liar or a cheater or, you know, I tell half-truths or I cheat on my taxes or, you know, I, I find loopholes in the system. But Paul is calling the church out to be honest, to be upright. He says in verse 26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And what I love about this verse is like all couples that I know, they all try to point back to this where, yeah, we try not to go to bed at night when we get into a big fight without resolving it because the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think that's cute and adorable. 
but it's not literal there, okay? It's not like, okay, before you go to bed and pass out, you need to resolve your, your difference. What Paul is saying is, in your anger, so Paul is saying, he's not saying that anger is wrong, okay? We should get angry about certain things. We should go to Mexico City and hear the stories of these young women and get angry because that is not right. We should look at injustice and sin in this world and be angry because all it does is it hurts people. It tortures them, it enslaves them, and imprisons them to sin, death, and destruction. But what Paul is saying is, don't let your anger, whether it's a holy, righteous anger or simply just an emotion that's gone out of control, fester in such a way that the devil can use it and manipulate it to get the best of you. So, you know, sometimes really, uh, I'll use the word conservative or old-fashioned Christians, you know, they like try to control their anger and never get angry because anger is sin. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's simply saying when you're anger, when when you're angry, don't let Satan use it to manipulate you. Don't let it fester. Don't let it turn into bitterness or revenge or deceit. Oh, I'm so angry at what she said to me or what she did to me. I can't stand her. And you let that well up and you start to hate her and vilify her. And Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate your brother or your sister, you've murdered them. And that's giving Satan an opportunity to use our uncontrolled anger to lead us to a path of destruction. Paul goes on to say, if you've been stealing, stop stealing, but work and do something useful with your hands so that you have something to share. In other words, Paul is saying, stop taking from people and start giving. And he's meaning literally steal, but I love the exchange that Paul is using. He's not just saying stop stealing because it's bad, but he exchanges it with this new identity, this new self, this new garment that these people should put on. He says stop stealing, and he doesn't say because it's bad, but he says start giving because God has given you everything. You see, the motivation for our generosity shouldn't be guilt. It shouldn't be because we're supposed to or we're told to because then that's obligatory and that's not really selfless giving. We should give because God has given to us. And Paul is reminding the believers of this truth. And then he says, don't let any old unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others. How many of us are guilty of this kind of conversation? Well, we get together in our little groups in our circles, in our cliques, maybe even in small group time, who knows? And we just bash people. We talk about you know, how wrong they are, how conceited they are, how rude they are, how inconsiderate, and we just bash, bash, bash. Are we building people up? Or are we giving Satan a foothold? Paul is straight up calling us out. And these ethical implications were not only true 2,000 years ago, but how true are they of us today? What Paul is saying is, who cares what you believe if it doesn't affect the way you behave? And Paul is also saying, you can't behave this way unless what you believe is rooted in the truth of Christ. It's blended and woven together. It's not one before the other, it's together. Paul is calling us to a different way of life because of what God has done in our hearts and in our lives. Therefore, we should look 
We should act. We should speak. I'll even say we should smell different than the rest of the world. And I think this is such a timely truth because in today's day, it almost seems like we can't be pointed out from the rest of our peers, our coworkers, in our communities. How many people would say, oh, on this street, that household over there, there's something different about that family? Or this guy in my, in my lab group or in my study group, there's something different about this guy. Or this girl that I work with and I, and I see, you know, nine, nine to five, Monday through Friday, there's something, there's something different about her. Or do we just use unwholesome talk like everyone else? Do we try to find opportunities to cheat the system to increase our odds in getting something that benefits us? Are we taking and taking and taking and we've become simply consumers or have we learned that we are rich in Christ and instead we are giving, giving, and giving? Paul's calling us out. He's saying, remember who you are. And then Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because living like the world and not taking off the old and putting on the new grieves the heart of God. And I love that word grieve because it's such a human emotion, right? I mean, we've all grieved. We've all been saddened. And what Paul is saying here is you're grieving God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. He is saddened when we live in this way. He says, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. He says, be kind and compassionate. And then he finishes this part of the letter by saying, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. And this is the gospel that Paul is referring to, that we are sinners, that we are enemies with God, that we cheat God, that we lie to God, that we speak negatively about God, maybe not verbally or explicitly, but through our actions and through our deeds. But God has forgiven us. God has given us his righteousness through his son. He has given us the title sons and daughters and children and people. Therefore, therefore we should forgive. Therefore we can live different. It's not about living differently to become his children. It's not about being good or being better so that God will bless but it's God's goodness has already been given to us. Therefore, we should be good. Remember Ephesians 2, uh, 10? You have been saved through Christ Jesus to be God's workmanship so that you could do good works. We're not saved by our works. We're saved for good works. Paul is reiterating this point again. And he's calling us to a higher way of life. And this is a challenge that we, if we consider ourselves to be the redeemed, must live up to and stand up to as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me close with a, a story uh, recently. Uh, recently in my, in my, uh, at home, uh, one of my kids... 
okay, I'll, I'll just be honest. My, my middle child, uh, my number two, uh, the second born son in my family, uh, Jacob, um, came home and, uh, you know, these days my kids have entered into elementary school and so they're exposed to everything and they're learning and they're absorbing their sponges and so they come home and, and so these days, like, you know, my wife and I were like always kind of like having to like teach them and explain and define and redefine and all kinds of things that they're picking up from their friends and from pop culture. Anyways, my, uh, my second son comes home one day and he asks us, what does, I'm not going to say the word, but I'll use uh, another word for it, what does F-bomb mean? I'm like, oh my gosh, right? My innocent baby, my pure child, you know, my beloved, how could such filth be coming forth from your lips? And then he continued to repeat the word over, and I, it stung every time. Like, Dad, what does it mean? What is F-bomb? Oh, what does it mean? Oh, and I, I almost was paralyzed and didn't know what to say. And I was like, uh, uh, and I was like on my heels and trying to think quick, like, what does it mean? What does it mean? And I know what it means, but do I really say what it means? And oh, oh, oh. And I said, you know, uh, it's what people say when they get really upset. That's what they say. Uh, they, they think it makes them feel better, but, but it really doesn't. And they just say it again, and they say it again. And he goes, but what does it mean? Who cares if they say it when they're mad? What does it mean? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's what people say when they get really mad, right? And uh, you see, as we've been learning how, and, and Esther and I are by no means model parents, uh, we don't have it all figured out. We... we uh, I, I think I'm, if I could, I'm just like 50% good at being a dad. Um, but uh, we have been teaching them repeatedly um, how to live. Because uh, we uh, sincerely believe that God has entrusted these three young boys uh, to our care. Uh, not so that we can idolize them and make them these successful, beautiful, bright people. But so that they would love Jesus Christ. And so our uh, sort of paradigm for parenting has been, let's point them to God, you know. But more importantly, our paradigm is, let's be godly so that they can see the way we live and be godly. And so in that moment, I didn't know what to say, but I think God gave me these words. And I'm not saying this is written in the Bible, but this is going to kind of point to what Paul is saying to us today. I told Jacob and I told Nathan because he was there. I said, you know what? That is really dis- disrespectful language. And uh, I was tempted to say it's adult language as if it's okay to say it when you're an adult. But instead what I said was, you can say those words and all the other words we've talked And that's not the only word we've talked about, trust me. But I said, you can use all those words if and only if mom and dad use those words too. If you hear dad use the F-bomb, then you can use the F-bomb. If you see dad doing certain things, I'm not going to tell you that you can't do it because you're a kid, because what's wrong for a kid is wrong for an adult. What's right for an adult is also right for a child. And so my wife and I have really tried our best to live that model, to say, imitate us. If we do it, you can do it. If we swear, you can swear. Who am I to tell you that you can't do it and I can't because I'm older than you? But if we don't do it, you don't do it. And we say, because we are trying to honor God. And I know in some ways for a kid that doesn't quite register, but what does register is this. 
I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. Because I still believe, and hopefully this will never change, that my boys look up to me. That they look up to me because I'm their father and they respect me and they trust me. Because nobody loves them more and nobody loves them better. Or nobody knows them better and nobody loves them more, right? And that they would strive to be like me. But that's what Paul calls the church to do. Paul says over and over, and Peter says this as well, imitate me because I imitate Christ. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, remember who you are. Paul is not talking about behavior modification alone. Paul is really talking about identity. Paul is talking about identity. Who are you? And if this is who you are, it should change your behavior. He is not just saying, hey, let me whip you into shape. This is what you should do. Paul is saying, imitate me because I imitate Christ, because I know who I am. Paul says, as a servant of Christ, as a prisoner of the Lord, as one who has been called in Jesus' name, he is speaking on behalf of Christ. He is speaking on behalf of God. He's saying, if you know who you are, it should affect the way you live. And if it doesn't affect the way you live, maybe you don't know who you are. And that is the sin beneath every sin. When we struggle with lust, as Paul alludes to here, and in chapter five in the first passage, he's gonna talk about lust. When we struggle with cheating and falsehood, when we struggle with anger, when we struggle with the idols of success or the idols of greed, it's not that money is bad, it's not that success is bad, it's not that sex is bad, but what's gone wrong is we've forgotten who we are. And so money and success and sex and greed have now become our identity. And we feel justified and loved and that we are valuable if we have more success, if we have more love, if we have more sex, or if we have more money. And that identity has replaced our identity as simply being children of God. But Paul is reminding them, remember who you are. Because if you remember who you are, it will change the way you relate with money. It will change the way you relate with sex, how you view success, how you deal with your anger. It will compel you to speak the truth. It should literally change you completely. That is the point that Paul is getting to. And that is what he's calling us to. And he's saying, remember, you can do this because you're forgiven. You're not doing it to be forgiven, but you can do it because you've been forgiven. And this is what uh, Paul is calling us to today. And uh, I think we all need to go home and take inventory of our lives, myself included, and look at all of the ways in which I've been living worldly and not been living heavenly all the ways in which I've been indulging in my flesh and in my sinful nature and not seeking the higher, better spiritual things. All the ways in which I've been living for myself instead of living for God and living for others. 
all because I know who I am in Christ. I am his child. And I want to be like him and live like him and be like God. And this should be our desire if Christ is in us. And if you don't have that desire but you know Christ is in you, you must awaken that desire by, like what Paul said, learning, listening, uh, these truths and holding on to them so that we can understand our identity, but then fueling these desires by living in a way that's consistent with our identity, by living the way of the cross. This is who we are. That's who God is. Therefore, we should live a different way. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you that today we can more than anything else, be reminded, uh, maybe also a little bit rebuked, uh, maybe exhorted, uh, maybe convicted, maybe even feel a little guilty, uh, but really more than all of those things, really to be reminded of who we are in you. And that, Lord God, you're not just concerned with behavior modification or, or good living or righteousness. What you're really concerned with is worship. That we know who you are and who we are called to be. And that our greatest work is worshiping you and following you and living our lives in such a way as to reflect that truth in every area of our lives. Father, we admit that we struggle in so many of those areas. That we're overcome with pride, that lust gets the best of us. Sometimes anger and rage really uh, leads to a loss of composure. Or that we can be so caught up in ourselves. But Father, again, that's why we're so thankful for this reminder that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, and that you have given us a new identity so that we can be like you. And so, Father, would you continue to uh, pour your Holy Spirit upon us, enabling us, strengthening us, encouraging us to live in this way, God, because ultimately, we want to honor you. You are our Father. You are our God. You are our Savior. And we give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.